I grew up on the southwest side of Chicago. We moved out to the southwest burbs when I was junior high. Uh, then uh, after college, I went back home, because that's what you do after you graduate from college, right? You go back home and mooch off your parents some more. So I was, I was back at home. But I had a job in the northwest suburbs of Chicago. And on a clean day, it would probably take you 25 minutes to go from my home to my work. But rush hour traffic uh, around Chicago in the morning, it took me an hour and a half to get to work, uh, which is normal because you're on the uh, tollway, and this was before they had the open road tolling, you know, you got the I-Pass thing. Everybody stopped at the toll booth. And so a couple miles before the toll booth, I think I had to go through four of them, uh, was just, it was just a parking lot. And so, you know, you get four lanes, six lanes, eight lanes, cars, it just, we were just all stopped. And this was before the advent of cell phones. And so you would see, look around and you'd watch people and they'd have their electric razors and or they're doing their nails and they're putting on makeup and there are people reading the newspaper as we're inching our way closer to the, the toll booth. So waiting, so when we get to the toll booth and we pay our, our toll, we can take off and go 80 miles an hour for about two miles and then back we're doing this again and we just keep going. We were waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. Waiting is what we do here in, in America. You ever go to a doctor's office, right? And, uh, you know, some of them are good, but sometimes you have to wait. And I know it's not always the doctor's fault, but you, you wait sometimes for a long time. And finally, the receptionist lady calls your, your name and you think, oh, great, finally I get to see the doctor. But not so fast because you go in and she kind of weighs you and gets your height and then puts you in a back room somewhere, right? And says, wait here. And so you're in there waiting and waiting and waiting. And then the nurse comes in and she takes your blood pressure and you ask you a bunch of questions. And then she starts to leave and says, Wait right here. The doctor will be right in. But you know he's not really going to be right in. And so you're, you're spending all your time reading outdated travel magazines or, or whatever else. And, and it, wouldn't it be really cool? I just think this. These are fantasies. Wouldn't it be really cool if you went to the doctor's office and they said, Oh, Mr. Harris, we've been waiting for you. Come on in and go right away immediately into examination room one. The doctor's in there waiting for you. He's in, he's in there reading the travel magazine himself or those gross posters on the wall. He's waiting for you. Wouldn't that be kind of cool if that would happen? But that never happens. Uh, we wait on uh, a lot of things. Think of, of the lines you spend your time in. The grocery store, all your retail stores, you're waiting in line. You go to an amusement park. What, are you spending two-thirds, three-quarters of your time waiting in line to, to ride something? As a matter of fact, it's been estimated that before your life is done, you will spend two full years waiting in line. We wait for traffic lights. We wait for elevators. We wait for babies to be born. We wait for our computers to, to boot up. Then we wait for applications to load and pictures and graphics and mu music and movies. We wait for all, when we go to the show, when we go to the theater, we wait for the show to start. We, we, we wait for school to begin if we're a parent. We wait for it to end if we're a kid, right? We wait for our, our grades to be downloaded on the computer so we'll know what we got. We wait for football season to begin. Or if you're a spouse, you wait for it to end, maybe. We wait for the Cubbies to win the pennant. And there was still a possibility on this one. It's been a long wait, but who knows? Uh, you know, there's, there's a waiting that just happens to be part of the U.S. culture, I think. It's been uh, studies, there's studies out on this. You will spend two, no, 20 weeks of your life waiting on hold on the phone. It's been uh, estimated that the average American spends over one hour a day waiting. Uh, 
You will spend five years of your life waiting, and that doesn't take into account the, the time that you will wait in your bed at night, waiting to fall asleep. Seven years, they say, of your life you will spend waiting to fall asleep. So all in all, your life will be spent, you will spend about a decade of it over waiting. And sometimes we don't wait very well, do we? We hate to waste time and it just frustrates us. And, and a lot of our life will be spent like that. We want to, to hurry up or maybe use the time properly. But when we're waiting for something, this is the goofy thing about waiting, the something we're waiting for, the thought of it constantly is interrupting us and ruining our time waiting for the, the something. We, we, we wait and we wait and we... Now, Jesus told us when he was here that he was leaving earth. He was going to uh, make a place for us in heaven. And, and he said if he does, he will come again. Apostle Paul tells us we're to wait. Peter says we wait with hope and expectation and enthusiasm. We wait for Jesus. But let me ask you, how do you wait for Jesus? I know how to wait for the bathroom, right? You bang on it and scream and threaten. I know how to wait there. And I, know, I know how to, But how do you wait for Jesus? Waiting is kind of a passive thing. And do we just like hear a message once in a while about he's coming back and go, oh, yeah, cool, okay, maybe today. And we go on and that's waiting? What, how do you wait? Now, this is a big thing for Jesus. I'll tell you how big it is. He's got three, he preached lots of messages and stuff. But he's got three famous messages. His top three, Jesus. First one is the Sermon on the Mount. He preached this right at the beginning of his, of his public ministry. A lot of people there. He taught them how, uh, what it required to get into the kingdom of God. His very last message, just hours before he was crucified, it's called the Upper Room Discourses, John 14 through 16. He tells them what's going to happen. And he lets them know of the promised Holy Spirit. And he tells them of his desire for unity. And, and it's, it's a very special time, John 14 through 16. Sandwiched between those is what's called the Olivet Discourse. The Olivet Discourse, he preaches it on Mount Olives. That's why it's the Olivet Discourse. And the whole thing deals with how to wait. That's Matthew 24 and 25. If you've got your Bibles, if you turn with me to Matthew 24 and 25... We're not going to go over both chapters in their fullness this morning. But I want to give you the, the context. It's important that you understand what the context is. Because we're going to look at an amazing story that he tells in the Olivet Discourse on how to wait. But we've got to get this background, context, what's going on. Matthew 24, beginning in verse 3. It says, As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives... The disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? He just told them the whole temple was going to be destroyed. They went by the temple. It was glorious. It was magnificent. They said, wow, check out this temple. And he said, yeah, it's coming down. And so they said, when is this going to happen? And they said, what will be the sign of your coming? And when will be the sign of the end of the age? So when is, this, when is everything going to end? We thought that you were going to come and just set up everything right now. But obviously, you're not. It's down the road. But... When is it going to come? And how much time are we going to have to wait? And how do we wait? And this thing permeates this entire, this entire two, two chapters. If you look over in verse chapter 24, still verse 36. Jesus says, No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. He says, I know you're asking for a when. I can't tell you a when. 
verse 42, he says, Therefore keep watch because you do not know what day your Lord will come. Then in chapter 25, verse 13, he says, Therefore keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. Then in 31, he starts this, there's three parables in this section. We're only going to look at one today. But 31 starts a new parable and it starts off this way. When the Son of Man comes in his glory. I mean, this whole message, if you want a really cool devotional thing, go through Matthew 24 and 25. Ask yourself for each of the three parables and for other things. What does this mean for me? How am I supposed to wait? That's a, that's a great exercise. And so they've got this question. How am I supposed to wait? And so Jesus says, okay. This is, he's talking to his disciples. So it's going to be a while before I come back. This is how you wait. In verse 14. Let's get right, in, right into that. Um, it says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey. And so you've got to stop and say, whoa, whoa, hang on. It will be like a man. What is it? What do you mean it will be like a man going on a journey? Well, we want to find out what the it is. You, you look back. Chapter 25, verse 1, says, At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like. So he's talking about the kingdom of heaven, but you say, at that time. What time is he referring to? I don't have this on the screen, but if you go back just a little bit into chapter 24, verse 50, it says, The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him at an hour he is not aware of. So at that time... When the master comes back, when people aren't looking, when they're not prepared, when they're not ready, when he comes back, this is what the kingdom of heaven will be like. This is what's going to happen. Jesus says, I'm not telling you the time, but I am telling you there will be a time, and when it happens, this is what it's going to be like. The kingdom of heaven. Now, let me, kingdom of heaven, interesting thing. We just got to, I'm going to, don't mean to be technical, uh, and I'm probably not going to communicate it real well, so follow me. But we need to understand what he's referring to by the kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of heaven is uh, on lots of, I mean, books and everything else have been written on this one question. What is the kingdom of heaven? Uh, ultimately, it is the, the rule of God over all. So the entire universe, God in charge. Of. More specifically, though, the, the, uh, it is the rule of, of Christ over his people, his church. Now, in Scripture, the kingdom of heaven, we see it both visible and invisible. You say, well, what, what, what are you talking about? Matthew chapter 18, Jesus says, unless you humble yourself and become uh, like one of these little children, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. That's the invisible kingdom. That's the people who are really, really, really following him. Keep in mind, at this point, Jesus is very popular. Lots of people following him. A lot of them just following him to get a meal. They want to see a miracle. Maybe they think he's going to go in and, and just tear apart Rome, and so they're loving it. So they're following him for those reasons. But there are some people following him whose hearts are, are, are right. They understand his identity. And so they're following him in, in submission. So all these people following him. And so Jesus is saying, the people who are really in the kingdom, those are the people who fumbled themselves like little children. They're really in. That's the church invisible. But then there's a church visible. Matthew 13, Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who went out and he planted seed. And then that night an enemy came and he planted weeds. And so growing up you had uh, wheat and weeds. 
And the, uh, the, the servants said, well, well, master, let's go and we'll go and uproot the weeds. And the master said, no, no, you can't do that because you can't always tell what are wheat and what are weeds when they're, they're so young. Plus, their, their roots are all tied together and you pull up one and you're going to destroy the other. So don't worry about it. At the end of the age, I will separate the wheat and the weeds and the weeds will be burned up. Jesus says that the kingdom of God is like a, a, a shepherd who separates his sheep from the goats. We, we, we find Jesus saying that the kingdom of heaven is like a big fishing net and these guys cast the net and they pull it in and there's all kinds of fish and then the fishermen go through and they make two piles. They, make, they take a pile of the marketable good fish and then the fish they have to throw away because no one's going to buy. We see this often in Jesus' teaching that there are two groups of people following him, two groups of people that come to church, two groups of people that are supposedly in the, the visible kingdom. We know people come to, to church, all kinds of folk come to church and some of them might not really be in the kingdom. They might not be in that invisible group. They're just in the visible group. That's important to understand that because you can see that here in this, in this, this text. So it's, it's the kingdom of heaven. It's like a man going on a, a journey. This man going on a journey, by the way, this master going on the journey was going to be Jesus. He was going to leave and go away. Uh, he would come back, though. Who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. Uh, to one he gave five talents of money or five bags of gold to another two talents to another one talent each according to his ability then he went on his journey well what's a talent? Uh, we think talents okay talents uh, I can juggle and I can spit real far and I can run fast and I can sing and I can play the harpsichord okay these are my these are talents things that we do maybe better than anybody else uh Talents here, the, the name is just a, a weight. It's a measurement. Uh, a talent of, of, you could have talents of gold or silver or whatever else. This is gold here. But a talent would equal, it's between 50 and 80 pounds, it was equal to 6,000 Bible times denarii. One denarii was a day's wages. And so one talent equals 20 years wages, basically. So... Uh, According to what you make and all those things, it wouldn't be far to say that one talent today equals about a million dollars. So these guys are, are getting some, some cash here. They're doing, they're, doing, they're doing all right. Even the guy that only ended up with one, he's doing okay. The master treated him, him well. When we think about uh, the talents, though, this is, for us, it doesn't just represent in the parable money. It represents all of what the master gave to his uh, servants. Uh, it was uh, their uh, net worth. It was their finances. It was their resources. It was their stuff. But it was their education. It was the health, uh, heritage. None of us chose the heritage that we have. God chose that for us. It was uh, mental acuity. It was IQ. It was emotional stability. It was uh, relationships. It was networking. It was personality. It was skills. And it was abilities as well. It's everything that encompasses your life. And, and the picture here is the master is getting ready to go and he calls these guys in and he packs their bags for them and gives them. Now, it's interesting that this is master puts this together and it's not equal. He doesn't give everybody the same, does he? And we would say right away, well, that's kind of unfair. 
Now, I really don't like things unfair, unless, of course, I get the biggest piece. Then it's cool, you know, eh, it's the way it works. But if I don't get the biggest piece, oh, I don't like it, it's just not fair. And there's a real tendency, a temptation, if you're a two-bag person or if you're a one-bag person, to look at the person further up the line and to start, you can get envious, you can get bitter, you can become angry. You know, how come, how come he got more than I did? Yeah, I wish I had a family that was as healthy as that and, was, and I wish I had the, the resources and he got into that school because they had connections or he had money to pay for it. I wish I had, if I had that, then I'd have had a different job. So-and-so got that kind of a spouse. If I had that kind of a spouse, life would be better or their kids are doing well. My kids, what, what is the, how come they got so much and I just didn't get it? It's easy to go down that road. Or is it easy to look at someone who's got less and compare with that individual as well and get a little bit smug and become a little, feel a little bit superior? I would say that everybody, on some level, is probably a five-talent person. And on a different level, you might be a one-talent. Singing? You know what? That's like a one or zero-talent person over, over here. It, 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 it mixes out. But the master is given these things. And he's saying this. This is what Jesus is saying in the, in the parable. You want to know how to wait? Wait as one who is a manager, not an owner. He doesn't give them the things, right? They're still his. They're still the master's. He gives them the responsibility. You don't have a bag of education and relationships and IQ and net worth. You have a bag of responsibility. You have a bag of stewardship. That's what that is. The, the, the giving it's not necessarily more stuff for me. It's greater responsibility. Is it? Looking at the parables, is that right? That's exactly what it is. And he has given each of us. So you ask yourself, what's in your bag? What has he given you? And don't exclude hard things that he's packed. Master has packed the bags. And he's given them to us. And he expects us to use them for his return. In verse 16... It says, the man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and he gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold, he gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole, put it in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, what you need to know when it talks about this incredible return these guys did is it's not necessarily that the number, the return. It's the fact that they invested everything. 100%. Some folk got the five bag stuff going, but they only invest like a half a bag. And they think it's cool, it's half a bag. It's, it's, it's everything else is mine. And that's still a lot, half a bag. Everything else is mine. Some people got the, the three bag thing going. Well, invest maybe a full bag, and they're feeling good that they put the whole bag in. That is a very entry level discipleship kind of mindset. The master's saying, no, 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 no. All of what I've given you is mine you're to manage it and there will be an accounting of it one day there will so you ask yourself what is in my bag what has he given to me putting the gold in the ground we think well that's kind of a dopey thing but um, there's not a whole lot of banking system going on at this point in history very very little uh, if any, they are money changers. You, and that's the word that's actually used when it says bankers. Money changers that they could give to that might loan it out for you. But um, if you're afraid someone might break in your house and there's no alarm systems, 
hiding the stuff in the backyard is really pretty normal. You remember Matthew 13 when the guy is walking through the field and he finds a pearl, a great big honking pearl in the, in the field? Don't you ever ask yourself, how did this pearl get in the field? Pearls don't grow in underground and in the field. That's not where they come from. How does pearl get in the field? Well, it's very normal for riches to be buried in that regard. It says that after a long time... By the way, let me mention this. This Because you hear that kind of thing. I've got to invest all of what he's given me for his kingdom. And we think, I don't know how to do... What does that mean? I go liquidate everything and just kind of give it all to the church or give it all to Goodwill or someplace. And and then I'm in poverty and I've got to mooch on other people. What is that? How does this work? Uh, I heard a great illustration a while back. This was helpful for me. Um, If if you looked at me right now, looked at me, if somebody else was on the platform, the stage, off to the side... Um, still you'd focus on me, you would see them in your peripheral. You would see them, uh, but you're focusing here. But you'd still see them. There are times in our walk with Christ where we focus on Jesus. We just, we're, we're alone with him, we're in his word, we're on our knees, maybe we're worshiping uh, as a body, I'm worshiping privately, and I'm just focusing on Christ. But then there are times in life when I've got to do stuff, I've got work going on, I've got issues I've got to fix, I've got troubles, I've got, and I've got to focus on that thing. I, I do. I have to get it done. Do it, whatever your hand finds to do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. Yes. But, but here's the deal. Uh, sometimes my focus is not necessarily on Jesus, it's on the thing, but Jesus has to be on the platform in the peripheral. If, if in fact I'm focusing on golf, and Jesus isn't on the peripheral, I can get out of whack with that real easy. I can get out of balance huge with it. But you know what? If, if I'm, sometimes I might need relaxation, and it's not a bad thing at all. And so I'm golfing. But as long as he's in my peripheral while I'm doing this, most probably there's going to be some balance. Most probably I'm going to be doing the thing right. As we go through our life, whether we're focusing on our job or our kids or our finances or whatever else, as long as he's in there and we're doing it in view of him, Often we're going to end up doing it right. Verse 19, it says, After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. Now this, after a long time, I think, this is kind of a side thing, I think what Jesus is doing here, though I don't think the disciples would catch it immediately, is he's letting them know, he's letting us know that, you know what, my return, it's not going to be like tomorrow. You know, when I leave don't just wait and twiddle your thumbs thinking I'll be back in a, in a week or so. It's going to be a while. Matter of fact, the parable just before this one, whole purpose of the parable is to say, my, 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 I'm going to leave and I'm not going to come back for a long time. It's going to be a while. I mean, it's going to be a long time. It might be beyond your lifetime. And you just need to not get discouraged with that. And you, you need to just make sure that you're not wasting, squandering your waiting because it might be a while. So after a long time, he lets us know that there's going to be an accounting. When we think of accounting, you know, this is not a threat, by the way. We think, oh, it's an accounting. Oh. If you're in school, you know, and they say there's going to be a test, you don't know, oh, I just was afraid something like this would happen. You know, you're in school. Test, that's what it's about. You go through your syllabus and it says you've got a presentation on this day. Well, you know, if you study for it, and you prepare for it, and you do all the work, and, and you just feel like you've really nailed it, you walk into that presentation, and, and, and you're not afraid. You might be a little nervous, but this is going to be good. 
And you give it, and as you're giving your presentation, there's the teacher in the back looking at you going, wow, wow. Kind of leaning in, you're going, yeah, yeah. And then when it's all done, the teacher stands up and says, that was the most incredible presentation I ever heard. I mean, is this a bad thing? No, this is an incredible thing. You're ex- this is right. This is a good deal. Now, and this probably never happened to you, but I can tell you from personal experience. You walk into a room and you forgot all about the presentation. And all of a sudden the teacher says, okay, Mark, come on up. You're going, oh no, how do you fake this one? And as you're trying to give it, you're just going swinging this thing. They're like, oh, they're in the back doing this. And you go, you know, it's just a horrible, hopeless, despairing feeling. And Jesus is saying, I want you to know, disciples, that at the end, when this is all done, uh, the first thing I'm going to do is there's going to be an accounting. Because all the things that I, I gave you, the bags I packed for you, there's going to be an accounting. And if you're not ready, you know, oh, that's going to be a bad, you're going to feel horrible. But if you're ready, you know what? You're going to be looking forward to this. It's going to be a good thing. It's going to, it's going to, be, it's going to be a good deal. So the, the principle he's saying, he's saying, if you want to wait for, for me, you wait as one who's a manager, not an owner. If you want to wait for me, you wait as one who is ready for the day of reckoning. Going through this day, I mean, what if he comes back tomorrow? Uh, how am I going to give account for what he's packed in my bags or my bags buried in the ground? This is after, verse 19, after a long time the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold, or five talents, brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold, and see, I've gained two more. His master replied, by the way, the exact same. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Now look at the the reward real quick for a second. Three rewards. First one, you got praise. Now we think, well, these are kind of chinso rewards. You know, I want to see some money in all honesty. But oh, praise. Okay, thank you, you did a good job. But praise... Its validity is really based in the person offering it to you, right? Right, right? I mean, you, you uh, are singing, and Taylor Swift is out in the crowd. And when it's done, Taylor comes to you, and she's very sincere, and her, her jaw is on the ground, and she's looking a bit dazed, and she's saying, I have never in my life heard a voice as beautiful as that. That's something, Right? You're, 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 you're doing the finances. You're not Mr. Whizbang financially, you don't think. But then Warren Buffett gives you a call and he says, Listen, I'm looking for a little counsel financially. Because nobody, there's no one I respect more in this world who can handle finances other than you. I mean, you go to football camp and Tom Brady is there. And, and he comes to you after he's watched you throw a little bit. And he said, Listen, I've been feeling this for two decades. And I've never seen anybody with the talent and the gifts and the heart that you possess. One day we stand before God, the creator of the universe, and he looks at you and says, good job, well done. The word is actually excellent. Excellent. You nailed it. 
God to say that? Is there, does it get any better? Is there anything more you possibly can need in life? This is it. This kind of praise. But there's more that's listed. Second thing, and it's kind of a surprise, is you get more responsibility, right? Because you were faithful in a few things, I'm going to make you a manager over more things. And you might be going, ah, I need a vacation, I need a reprieve, I need a break, I don't need more responsibility. But for the, the, the person who is, they eat responsibility for lunch kind of thing, they go after it. You know what, this is, this is an, an honor for them. I was in a high school, and I was relatively good in, in English when I was in high school. You might ask what, what happened, well that's a different issue. But I'm in high school, and I'm uh, in an English class, and the teacher put some problem issue up, and everybody kept, what is this? And everyone kept bombing and missing it. And then he looks to me. He says, okay, Mark, everyone is fumbling. And so I'm going to hand the ball off to my best guy. And I know you can nail it. What's the answer here? Well, I think I got it wrong. But e- either way, you know what? I sat back thinking, does he really think that of me? Does he really think that of me? And I wanted to rise to the occasion for this responsibility that he gave me. But you really think this would be? Yes. Yeah, this was, this was an honor to me. This tells us something different, too, about heaven, doesn't it? When you think heaven, we're going to float around in heaven and look at rainbows and sing a little bit. Well, you know what? That's going to get boring quick. Won't it? I mean, that's kind of like hell, in all honesty. This is not going to be a fun thing. But this says, no, 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 no. Heaven is responsibility. You will have a task. Can you imagine one great presentation after the other, after the other, after the other, after the other? Praise, praise, praise. This what heaven is. But there's another one. You notice the last. You've got praise. You've got responsibility. But you've also got celebration, maybe. I don't even know what to call this one. Where he says, um, well done. He says, enter into your master's happiness. You know, I don't think... There's any being in the universe more happy than God, more purely happy than God. Now, let me ask you, what do we look for in this world? What do we chase after? What we chase after, right? Happiness. We can put up with a lot of stuff as long as we really are happy. As long as we, we feel significant. I'm, I'm, I'm important. I'm, I'm worth something here. As we search in this world, we find glimpses of that from time to time. And when that happens, we're just loving it. This is great. This is wonderful. Now it's short-lived. And when it goes away, we remember back to those times. We think, oh, why couldn't it last? And God says, yeah, it's supposed to last. As a matter of fact, part of the reward is that it will last. You will enter into the happiness of God. That's part of the reward. It's what else can you want? This is the ultimate. What you're searching for in life will be there and the crazy thing with this is if you search for happiness, you know, you never find it, do you? If you search for him, though, and you search to be obedient and honor him, you, you find the happiness. That's where, where he's going with this. You notice, too, that guy, two-bag guy got the same reward as the uh, five-bag guy. Sometimes I think of uh, John MacArthur. Uh, he's one of my hero guys. John MacArthur, he, he's pastor of Grace Community Church in Sun Valley, California. It's a big thousands and thousands person church. And he's president of the Master's College and the president of the Master's Seminary, uh, thousands of students. And 
He's president of Grace to You International Radio Program, heard on hundreds of uh, stations daily in hundreds of countries, translated into all kinds of languages. And he's an author of over 60 books. And he's written his own study Bible. And on top of that, he's my understanding is he's got a great relationship with Patricia. They've got a great marriage. His kids are all doing well. He was an excellent father. And I look at that and I go... How can this guy have so much spiritual fruit? Thousands of people have come to know Christ and have grown because of MacArthur. Thousands, maybe millions. And I look at me. You ever think this sometimes? You know what? I don't have the fruit that so-and-so has. You know, so-and-so could lead all kinds of people to the Lord. And I try, and it's pathetic, and it doesn't get anywhere. And I probably confuse the people more than anything else. And I'm trying to do things, and it's just not working. And I don't have any fruit in my life, but I'm giving it a shot. I'm trying, but I'm just not getting much. The parable would let us know that the only one who judges the fruit, nobody, not yourself, nobody, anybody else, the only one who judges the fruit is the master. And the master judging this guy's fruit, two bad guy, which is a lot less than the five bad guy, gets the exact same reward. And so not to be judging your fruit, you're not to be judging your fruit. Are you faithful? There's, 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 the, there's, the, there's the issue. So he's got the same reward. There's another guy, though, right? The one bad guy. The man who received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seeds. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. So this guy starts making excuses on the front end. I mean, Master hasn't said anything yet. And this guy's coming in with all these reasons why he didn't do this, why it didn't work for him, why, why the excuses. It may look to you like I was, I was not going well, but let me explain myself. He's got the excuses rolling. Now, how many of us, really, would you, how many of us would say, you know, yeah, God's given me stuff, bags of stuff, but uh, I'm not really using it for him. And the reason is because I'm uh, evil and lazy. How, how many of us would say, no one would say that. We No, 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 we've got reasons. No, I'm too busy. And I don't have the opportunities. And, you know, I, I, my health. And now let me tell you, I, I want to. And it's just not, it's not the right time. We've got, we would never say we're, we're evil and lazy. That's not going to happen. This guy's making excuses. And look at this guy, though. This is, this is an interesting guy. He's not the Antichrist. He's not an atheist. He's not uh, a vile, wretched person. He, he's not... He's not someone who's wasted all the master's money like the prodigal son did. He's not somebody who embezzles it like the uh, unmerciful steward. He just didn't use it. He's not a case study in in, uh, vile, wretched debauchery. He's just a case study in wasted opportunity. And Jesus is saying, I gave you, well, give you, given you, everything you have. And one day there'll be an accounting. So as you wait for me, don't waste. Don't squander the opportunity. And look at this, this guy too. Look at his, his excuses. You know why he didn't do this? Look what he says. He says, Master, he said, I knew that you're a hard man. I know you. Harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seeds. So I was afraid. Then went out and hid your gold in the ground. He says, this is not my fault. This is your fault. Because I know who you are. And you're a hard person. You're a hard nose. And you, you're going you're gonna, to uh, be unrelenting and unforgiving and ungracious and, and unmerciful. I know you. you. You take no prisoners, man. You exact and exact and demand and demand. And I just know who you are. 
Does he really know who the master is? He says, says, also I know this about you. You uh, harvest where you have not sown. You gather where you have not scattered seed. What's he saying with that? You're godlike. You're all powerful. So you know what? You want something? You just take it. You just, you don't, you exploit people. You use people. What's the little thing that I can do can't benefit you? In all honesty, you want something, you're just going to go take it anyway. In all honesty, I'm not interested in being used or exploited by you. Thank you very much. Does he really know the master? But he's revealing the heart of somebody who's in the Christian faith, as it were. They're in the church. They're in that visible kingdom of God whose religion is really a religion of fear. He says that, right? It's fear. I'm afraid. I'm not necessarily... My, my, my religion is a religion of not doing anything wrong. I don't want to do anything wrong here. That's, I just don't want to do anything wrong. That's just what it's all about. Did you, I grew up like that. Did you ever grow up? You know what I'm talking about? But the master kind of exposes his heart. The master said... Uh, where's he at? Master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed, huh? Well, then you should... I put that on there, but that's right. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. You're, you're telling me that you didn't do this because you know I'm such a hard person. Well, if you really thought I was a hard person, if that's really the reason why, and you knew I'd be real angry and mad, then how come you didn't at least give it to the money changers and, and let them get some interest out of this thing? I mean, but that's really, what he's saying is, your theology isn't what caused you to put the, your bag in the ground. What caused you to put the bag in the ground was your laziness and your evilness. You know what? It's just too difficult. I just don't have time. If, if I don't have time to be thinking through how to invest stuff for the kingdom, and I, I've got a life I've got to live. I, I've got stuff I've got to do. I don't have time. I am stuck. That's the evil thing. It's not necessarily evil like I'm Adolf Hitler. It's, it's evil like I'm all about me. He said, because your evilness, because of your, your laziness towards the kingdom, your spiritual laziness, that's why you did this. Now, I don't know if this guy ever accepted what the master said. But you know, it really doesn't matter. I, I mean, I don't know if the guy ended up saying, well, I guess, I guess you're right. I don't, it's irrelevant, though. Isn't it? I don't know if any of us one day will say, oh, I see your point, I guess you're right. Whether we go to hell kicking and screaming, it almost doesn't matter. And so he says, ah. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. That's, the, that's a twist in the whole thing. Whoa, how come the guy, he's got so many. By the way, if he had an accounting and he gave the master's talents back, what is he doing with ten talents now? Well, maybe the master gave them back to him. Maybe it's part of the more responsibility. He can trust this guy. He's letting us know that when we are faithful with what he's given us, he gives us so much more. You can't outgive God kind of thing. For everyone who will be given more, and he will have an abundance, whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside in the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let me ask you, what is in your bag? This parable is not 
primarily this parable is about uh, not wasting opportunities. This parable is about how to wait for the Lord, how to wait for the end times. It's not about calculating a date. You want to wait for him? This is how you wait for him. You wait for him as, as a manager, not an owner. You wait for him as one who's going to be given an account one day. And if you wait for him in that regard, you've got praise and you've got extra responsibility that will be beneficial. And you have the master's happiness. So just, just take for a second, what is in your bag? Master packed your bag. Education, great family heritage. I'm talking, some of us grew up in the church. You sat underneath huge, great teachers. You go to Justin's class on a regular basis. You've got hyper-discipleship, all kinds of, there is, bags are packed pretty heavy. Uh, education, so gifts, skills, IQ, personality, finances. What's in your bag? And then second question, important. Where is your bag? Is it in the ground somewhere? Is it kind of being all used for me, maybe? Interesting is the master never told the servants how they needed to, to use their, their bag of stuff. How, I don't know how God would have you use what he's given you. He calls you to be creative, to think, to take risks, to make it happen. To exercise a little uh, godly risk taking. Let me throw one more thing at you, young, young people. Um, your bags. One of the things that's in them is your future. I remember I was 12 years old, and I was at, at, at uh, a camp. And the guy didn't speak this message, but the same idea. And basically said, would you be willing to give the Lord that which he's given you, your future? You spend, you spend that which he's given you for him. Well, I was down immediately. And I said, Lord, I don't have a whole lot. I don't have the five talents or anything. I don't have a whole lot. But I want to give you my future however you want to use me. And you know what? I'm a pastor today. Now, my buddy who was right next to me, same thing. He became a music teacher. He played in a cool jazz band, saxophone. It was his dream, his heart. Um, it doesn't mean that God's going to make you do something you don't want to do. He won't do that to you. I promise you that what he'll do is if he wants you somewhere, he will, might change your heart to make you want it. But he's not going to make you do it. I really don't want to hate this. It's not what he does. But would you be willing to say, you know what, Lord, from this point on, my life is in your hands. And I want to do what you want me to do with it. That's something that you'll never regret. Would you pray with me?